And I want every single one who struggles from beginning to end to know that they are freaking heroes every damn day. <laughs> yes. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, our guest is Teresa Wynn. Along with supporting Mental Health America's federal and state policy agenda, Teresa manages various programs, including MHA screening, the State of Mental Health in America report, and workplace wellness. Teresa is also a licensed clinical social worker. Her clinical experience focused on working with children and adults with serious mental illness, homelessness, dual diagnosis treatment, and early intervention of psychosis. And finally, Teresa co-hosts Mental Health America's podcast. It's called In the Open. It's where Teresa and her co-host, America, have open conversations about mental health. Some of their episodes include, Medication Makes Me Feel Worse, Why Am I So Hard on Myself, and Am I Sad or Depressed? So with that being said, welcome Teresa to the Mental Health Download. And my first question is, how did this podcast come about? So we have a program that's MHA screening and MHA forever has been fighting to make sure that young people get screened for mental health problems because all this starts at a time when we're not really able to articulate what we're feeling, right? When you're feeling depressed or sad, or you have suicidal thoughts. And a lot of this comes up during puberty for kids. And unless adults are taking proactive measures to think about mental health issues, um, how it just seems very backwards to put it on young people to be like, oh, hi, I have depression. I feel suicidal. I think about death all the time. Like nobody articulates anything like that. Sure. Right. So in 2014, we started just putting mental health screens online and they're short forms. So, you know, internet attention span, like three <laughs> seconds, two minutes, max, um, put them online and like, kids just started pouring in, taking a depression test, taking a depression quiz. It's a validated scientific screen. So it's the PHQ-9. So if a person takes the screen and then brings it into their doctor, their doctor should recognize it. And this started us on this journey of not just fighting for screenings ubiquitously, but realizing that if you really want to, to tackle or meet young people where they're at, they are out at, in the internet world when they start Googling things, just like you and I do when I'm looking at my wart or the what, weird skin growth I have. Everything that we all do, we ask the Googleverse to figure our crap out. And so our podcast came about because, you know, after screening, if you take a screen, you you get some resources. And what we also wanted to do was think strategically about how people want to consume information. And we used people's typed in questions um, to help us identify topics that met, made the most sense for people. And we started with writing articles and we realized, you know, some people don't want to read. Maybe they want to listen to a story and have a dialogue about things. We also think that having a discussion about it just brings out like a more easy to understand dialogue than when we're writing these articles. Because we also realize the staff who are, who all live with mental health problems that when we're writing these articles, it just feels very fake, right? Mm -hmm. So America and I are like, we got to just do a podcast so we can record some audio about these questions that we're wrestling with. They're questions like, I want to die, or I just think about death all the time, or why do I destroy everything? And 
it's not, they're not easy questions and they're not easy answers, but it's our best attempt to try and do everything in like 15 minutes. And then if somebody's struggling, you know, and you Google and you come online, you find something that is just a voice on the other side, wrestling with these things in a different way than we normally see when you look up this stuff on the internet. Mm -hmm. So while we're mental health professionals, though, I would say that we really come at this from the lens of people with lived experience. Mm -hmm. And then we try to have guests who have lived experience if we're tackling a nuanced question, like talk to Catherine about struggling with bipolar disorder or like talking to other people in our network who struggle with schizophrenia because neither, you know, America or I have schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. you know, family members with schizophrenia. But to the extent that we're answering questions or perspectives that we come from, that's the lens. So Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of like, bringing in our own professional experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's towards the end. If we, if I think about like, okay, what does the research maybe say about the best approach to something that might come in there? But Mm -hmm. the goal is to give good information and to, Mm -hmm. but also to just tell people what it's like to struggle with these things so Mm -hmm. that they, they can get a better sense of how to dive into their own journey and make sense of things when life feels chaotic. Okay, so Teresa, how do people submit questions to Mental Health America? So when people take a screen, there's a section where you can just say, how can MHA help you? And people type questions in there about how people can help. And we have had um, close to 5 million people take a screen and submit questions. Um, and that's our original source as a podcast takes off, I think on our social media, maybe Instagram or something, we might solicit questions that people want to explore. But for now it's, what do you Google? (laughs) What do you Google when you're sick? And how do people find the screening on your website? They can find that, um, at www.mhascreening.org. So, Teresa, Mental Health Association Oklahoma, as you know, is an affiliate of Mental Health America. Proud to tell everyone that. And one of the amazing services that you all provide each year is the annual State of Mental Health Report. And for our listeners, you can find a link in the podcast notes. That report provides a snapshot of mental health status among youth and adults. And some of the big takeaways, which you can find on Mental Health America's website, are And a lot of these are not surprising, sadly. Youth mental health is worsening. Adult prevalence of mental health is relatively stagnant, but suicidal ideation is increasing. And that means over 10 million adults in the U.S. have serious thoughts of suicide. Prevalence of substance use disorder decreased in both youth and adults. More Americans are insured, but their coverage is lacking. There is still unmet need for mental health treatment among youth and adults. Over 10 million adults still report an unmet need for mental health care. And finally, youth are not being identified as having an emotional disturbance, which can keep them from accessing necessary accommodations. And as usual, no surprise here, Oklahoma statistics are just plain sad. But Teresa, when you look at the U.S. as a whole, You know, what do you find encouraging in this report? Yeah, you shouldn't feel so bad, Oklahoma, (laughs) because even though everything sucks in terms of access to care for you, it sucks for everyone. So, like, 
always tell the states at the top, like, don't get, you know, all excited or it's not fair. Yeah, I guess you should be relatively excited that you're at the top of the class, except being at the top of the class when everybody has Fs. It's like, you know, everyone is doing relatively better or worse compared to one another. But as a whole in the U.S., you know, we're all struggling with getting access to mental health care. Now, what is exciting is that since we passed the Affordable Care Act and since we passed mental health parity, those were the first attempts at trying to make real policy change to make sure people could get access to mental health care. So what we do see in the data from 2011, 12, all the way till the most recently available data we have from 2017 is that people are getting more access to insurance. And that's a huge first step. Like you can't get mental health care if you don't have insurance because everybody has had an experience where they couldn't afford care, came in to see a doctor and said, oh, I'm sorry, you're not in our network or we don't have insurance for you or, you know, experienced a hospitalization where you were kicked out sooner than you needed to be because you couldn't afford to have that stay paid for or landed with like my like life crushing hospital debt. It's just these are the options that we have for people. So with policy changes in insurance access that it's like it's the very first step at least for us mm-hmm. in America that we can have to get getting people care we do see trends over time that more people are getting access to insurance especially for states that have expanded medicaid yes surprise <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh like not life blowing information you know when right. people are like what can we do you know like it's so basic expand medicaid expand protections do use data to evaluate your, you know, changes. And with the expansion of insurance for those states that do have more access to mental health insurance, it does seem that the mental health treatment access is following behind. So we do see increased trends of utilization for services. So we're slowly getting there. It's getting better, but there's disparity. So if you are in a state where you don't have policies in your state that are very, very protective, then you literally can cross to the next state and those people have better care or vice versa. You're, you have better care and you move. And we talk to people all the time who say, I moved and all of a sudden I'm nothing. So right now, Oklahoma is making some pretty significant inroads into expanding Medicaid so we can have better access to care. We set a record for the number of signatures on that ballot initiative to expand Medicaid. So we're looking and hoping for the Medicaid expansion vote sometime in 2020. Um, and as far as we know, the the polling looks good as far as that maybe getting passed. But there's probably definitely challenges ahead. So Teresa, as a policy guru, what are your greatest arguments for expanding Medicaid? If you wait for people to get sick to provide care, it costs everybody way more money than if you invest in good care early on, right? And so prevention and early intervention is so important for us as a society. And we and it's not the approach that we take for our mental illness. So Paul, our CEO, started this campaign pointing out that we do not treat mental illnesses like we treat other diseases, we wait till stage four. And stage four for mental health is crisis, it's hospitalization, it's jail. And those services are horribly costly. And nobody in our families wakes up and struggles with a mental health problem and says, I cannot wait until my family member is hospitalized and incarcerated and I've lost touch with them completely. And 
no family wants that for their family member. So we have to do a better job at finding these challenges when they happen as early as puberty, if not earlier, educating people, integrating with schools, thinking about low-income families early on, zero to five. Those are such crucial times for brain development and providing those supports to young children and families um, is going to save us money, right? And so for low-income families, the safety net is Medicaid. Medicaid is going to save money by treating families early rather than waiting until they're in other systems of care, period. So Teresa, one of the coolest things that I saw on social media in the last few months was Paul Gianfrido, who is the CEO of Mental Health America. He, after person in power posted some things that increased the stigma of mental illness. Paul got on social media and he posted a picture of himself wearing a t-shirt and it said, hate is not a mental illness. I just love that. So Teresa, why do you think Paul did that? Because we're sick of being vilified, you know, done, done with being scapegoated, done with waiting for these media calls to come up where it's just so easy to blame people with mental illness. So it's, it's calling out what it is for what it is and not allowing people to use people with mental health problems as a scapegoat for what is otherwise non-action on a policy side there. So it's two sides of the coin. One, it's from a social perspective we're sick of it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> and mad, mad. Yes. Like, don't use us. Don't use me. Don't use people that we love and care about who wrestle every day and the strongest people I know who are non hateful people to use us for what happens on the other side, which is policy action for inaction. Because, you know, there was a time, I think, when we said, you know, we do want more access to mental health care. We do want better services. Everybody wants that. So we say, yes, we do want more mental health care. But at some point, with enough violence, you also are like, what's going on here? Nobody feels safe. I think the other challenge in our society is that crime is down. But if you asked, if you look at the research on global sense of safety, people feel more unsafe today than what the data indicates in terms of actual crime. Crime's gone down, right. people feel less safe. And that's because the nature of our safety is is different. Our, the nature of our safety doesn't feel like what happens in some kind of crime in my neighborhood. It's anything horrible and catastrophic can suddenly happen. And I can be in a grocery store or I could be at a concert. So where is safe? You know, my country is not safe. Right. and and it's affecting everyone. So there's a conversation that has to happen about what's going on here because it's absolutely trickling into the way that we view the world and the way we, we view each other. And it's not in a way that builds community and love and safety and togetherness, right? And I think those things are toxic. You are. You're kindred spirit, Teresa. So, so now I want to know what are some of the legislative bills on a national scale that you're excited about? My, probably my favorite, there's so much. Every policy is great because even though it's a slow moving submarine, you, you pick your thing. 
that you care about and you dive into it. And right now, at least I'm really excited about the stuff that I see happening in schools because Mm -hmm. I do think that that's just where we're going to find a lot of our young people are struggling alone. And so if we can increase funding, for example, in the Every Student Succeeds Act, and get mental health care integrated into schools and to do that well. It's a pipeline for improved mental health care. Um, I really love all the research on social emotional learning because that SEL research has a huge impact on our kids, people with mental health problems or emotional disturbances. It, It shows that doing this approach absolutely helps improve their own mental health conditions, but it's a universal prevention approach, which means you provide this care to all kindergartners, all first graders, all second graders, all the way up to high school, whatever that program tackles in terms of age range. And it helps everyone become better emotional people, right? Like it just is good, good policy. Um, But uh, some of the most interesting research I think in this school mental health space is that They've also researched the ripple effect on some of these SL programs. So if you in, if you integrate a program into your first grade classes, for example, that they see good outcomes in the sixth graders who are also co-located in school, schools. And the teachers, they report liking their jobs better and we don't value our teachers enough. We need to do everything we can to make their jobs easier, not harder. So I just, it's really awesome to see the policy and the research come out and also see students just enjoy school because they're not bullied and they're learning how to be pro-social and that's our, our kids will save us. So one of the things that we always say around here is one suicide is too many. Um, but the suicide rate has done nothing but go up year after year for decades. If I gave you a magic wand what would you do to help end suicide in America? So in terms of suicide, two things, right? And and our youth, they they don't they don't mess around. Like I love the young people who connect with us on social and who wrestle with these problems because they don't like to beat around the bush and talk about something but not have action. They absolutely want to talk about mental health problems openly. So like our motto, fight in the open, they do it. They push us to break down fear and shame by talking actively about these problems. And that's a huge step in turning around these numbers. I think adults are more scared to talk about suicide, to talk about mental illness in your family. And you can't tackle a chronic disease and the way that it's genetic in your life if you're not willing to talk about what happened in your family history and to arm your children for mental health problems as much as you arm them for colon cancer, you know? And so I'm super stoked to just see our youth demand that we, that we talk about it Mm -hmm. openly and honestly and without shame and to try and wrestle with these very hard, complicated issues way earlier with more access than we ever have been able to do so before. And part of that is the internet, which is love hate because there are some really sucky things about the internet, but there are also really great things about the internet, but the internet's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. So Kids are going to Google, I want to die or I think about death all the time. And we need to create content to make sure that when they do, they find good information and resources and not, you know, how to be a better cutter.com or whatever crap that we sometimes see um, when people are predatory on the internet. So um, I think that's so 
so important. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to figure out where to meet kids, where they are at. We need to, as parents, lean into what they're looking at on the internet, have open dialogues with them about these issues and check our own fears that hold us back from having these conversations. You know, our own fear, our own shame, our own guilt and say, I own it and I see it, but I'm not going to let it get in the way of making sure that my kids are armed. And that's how you start to turn around suicide. All right. So the, the name of your podcast is called In the Open. And that's based on a quote by Clifford Beers, the father of the mental health movement in America. He is an amazing inspiration to us all. He dealt with the horrible, nightmarish environments of the early 1900s mental health asylum system. And um, if you get a chance, check out his book. Uh, It's called A Mind That Found Itself. A lot of times you can read it for free online. It's a really heartbreaking story, but it also gives you insight into why someone like Clifford Beers was so brave and courageous to step out and say, look, we have to fight in the open for mental health. And so, so Teresa, I'm so glad that you're calling the podcast in the open. Um, so let's say somehow through the magic of time travel, uh, you, you somehow get Clifford Beers himself on your podcast. Uh, what are some of the questions you would have for him? Questions? I would apologize for screwing up the last 100 years opportunity we had to do something because I am not kidding. We were (laughs) digging through old documents from the 1900s, 100 years to do something. And the goals that Clifford Beers had when he started the mental hygiene movement were the same goals that we have today so we all had a moment of silence you know in the office and went what the hell we are sorry we have wasted maybe opportunity we're sorry that we couldn't give you better news and yet at the same time i think about deinstitutionalization i think of people are out of the hospital and i would say i i do see a lot of progress as well i mean i'm a community mental health worker so when my clients are out in the streets with me and in the community and getting jobs and recovering from their lives and don't you know and have control like i i love that i think that is what clifford beers has brought us today um if i was going to ask him a question i think i'd just want to know about his life even more i'd want to hear from his own voice like tell me about Tell me about all the things that you did. He was friends with really smart people of his time. Um, it would be cool to sit with him over a beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would definitely love to buy Clifford a beer. Uh, that would be amazing. Um, so speaking of the mental health movement, I want to talk about Mental Health America's inspirational Bell of Hope, which we've actually had here in Tulsa um, on display. It's amazing symbol of the mental health movement. So um, we both know the story, but maybe our audience doesn't. So Teresa, can you share the story of the bell with them? So during deinstitutionalization, I mean, if you, if you ever, if you want pictures of the horrific situations that we put people in back then, and oftentimes, sometimes today with restraints, right? Um, We had been fighting for deinstitutionalization because 
the hospitals were not a healthy place for people to be. We wanted people to be in the community. And so we were advocating for deinstitutionalization. They took all the shackles, the metal shackles, heavy, heavy, horrible chains and metal hand brackets that people were held in for days, weeks on end, months, just always shackled. And they were going to throw them away. And so MHA requested that they were sent to the office. And they sent all the, as many as they could get the shackles to the office. And we melted it into what is the mental health bell. Um, So it's our bell of hope. And it rings out as part of a shout out to what we're trying to create in our country, which is a world where people have hope about recovery. Um, and a hope free from coercion and free from being tossed to the side. Uh, so we're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you, what is your goal for mental health in America? Oh, gosh, you know, you just break down your dreams into small things you can accomplish every day. I don't have big dreams. You have to, in the long fight, you have to break things down into incremental growth and you just tackle it one day at a time, one step at a time. And that's true, whether it's for your personal recovery or if you're trying to make big changes like policy changes. So I would love a world where when people were struggling with mental health problems, we had awareness and knowledge to help people and how to do it. And we were able to do it when they needed the most help, which is when you first start struggling with these problems, not 25 years after, not 10 years, not two years after. Um, I want people to feel pride with their emotional struggles. We can look back in recovery and say, you know what, I, I can see the growth that I've had and it feels really good. I want that to translate to people who are struggling for the first time and say, oh, this I have this thing, but it's something I can overcome and I'm going to be a freaking awesome badass ninja <laughs> kicking the crap out of this and I'm going to, it's going to hurt like freaking crap. And it's awful, but it doesn't mean the end of the world. It's not a death sentence for any of us. All the people I know in recovery are so freaking amazing. Yeah, They're they amazing are. people. Yes. And I want every single one who struggles from beginning to end to know that they are freaking heroes every damn day. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Let's just go, you know, let's go fight out in the open right now. Let's just, let's make all this stuff happen right now. Let's go be right. badass mental health ninjas. <laughs> yes. Freaking ninja, but. Okay. Um, so the, the thing we say on our show, and it's something that Mike Bros, who um, you're, I'm, you've known I love for many Mike. years i love mike um i love mike one, so much i do too um and at the at the end of uh, all of our meetings that he always says go do good things that's kind of a rallying cry um so Teresa, if you would do me the honor if you would just say a few parting words and then close us out by saying go do good things man fight in the open every day and go do good things Booyah! <laughs> <laughs> this is so much fun. Okay, we're done. <laughs>